0: Well, good morning. My name's Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, It's my joy and privilege to share God's word with you today. We're continuing in our series um, from the book of James, which is the wisdom book of the New Testament. We've entitled the series, How to Get Through What You're Going Through, because we're all going through a bunch of things. And um, God is not an aloof God or a faraway God, but he's a God who comes near and uh, he's a God who speaks into uh, the very things that, that we're facing in our life. Um, now, as I was thinking about today in the sermon, uh, I couldn't help but think about uh, the reality of, of Father's Day. And so I want to share a little bit of my, my own journey as a dad uh, in that. Because uh, the, the main thrust of the message today is really uh, in the place of waiting and when I think about my own journey as a dad, waiting is definitely a word uh, that, that comes to mind. And uh, it, it really has two parts, my story of, of waiting. Um, and I want to share both of them with you this morning. The first part is that my wife Janet and I were, were married very young. Uh, we were 21 years old, which at the time I thought was like really old. Um, and now when I, when I meet 21-year-olds and I think about, oh, my gosh, like, what was I, what was I doing um, getting married? But we were married at 21, and um, we started our life together. I was a, a military officer at that time, and it was an adventurous time in our life. And uh, we always dreamed of, of having kids. And um, we waited and we waited and we waited to have children. And eight years went by. Um, before we, we actually were told that we couldn't have kids. And you've heard stories like this before, and there's a great mystery in it. And I don't, don't pretend to understand, like, all the reasons why. But uh, we were told, you know, you guys probably can't have kids. You should really look into, you know, adoption and things like that, which is a beautiful pathway for, for those who God calls to that. And I remember we were part of a little tiny church community. We were living in Clemson, South Carolina. Go Tigers at the time. And our church had like 70 people in it. The church was so small that we would all go out to lunch at this pizza place and just kind of take it over after, after church. Um, it was a beautiful expression of, of God's community there. And that community really came around us and prayed with us and sat with us in that waiting room of life as we were waiting um, to see what God would, would do. And in um, that year, he he answered our prayer, and we had our beautiful daughter, Madeline, who's now 16 years old. And then we were never able to have more kids. And um, we call Madeline our miracle baby, because I think, I think she was. For some reason, God just allowed that to happen. But I remember that season of waiting and wondering, God, what are you doing? You know, where are you? Um, how are you going to show up in this? And it was um, the whole thing, a time of of waiting and patient expectation. And then as I think about being a dad over the last 16 years, and those of you who have uh, daughters, you can most profoundly identify with this is there's a lot of waiting involved um, when you have kids, but especially I think when you have a daughter. Uh, I find myself waiting for hair to be done and nails and makeup and clothes to be laid out. And um, there's there's a lot of waiting that happens in the journey of parenting. But the reality is that both of these kinds of waiting, the, the bigger story kind of waiting and then the smaller waiting that happens in a day-to-day basis, um, happens as part of our journey with Jesus, doesn't it? There's a lot of waiting involved. And so James, if you remember, is writing to and a people who are oppressed. He's writing to these scattered Jewish uh, new Christian churches made up of, of uh, former uh jews and um and there's a lot of oppression happening the last couple of sundays we've explored what some of that looked like particularly that um for the most part they were poor and a lot of that oppression was economic oppression there was a lot of of power against them um, there was a lot of religious oppression and so in some ways you could say it felt like probably they were being squeezed from every side as a, as a people and, you know, in, in that, James reminds them that the oppression is temporary, that there's going to be a way out, um, and that there's a way to get through what they're going through. And it's not just any way, there's a particular way. And today, we want to look at one of the, the key things he says to a people who are being squeezed on every side, where life is really difficult, where oppression is kind of normative, is this idea that we wait, but we wait in two ways. We wait in patience, and we're going to look at what that means, and then we wait with hope. So we wait with patience, and we wait with hope. Now, when we look at uh, this idea of waiting, I want to submit to you that as we get into the text in verse 7, there's two ways that we're called to wait. The first way is that we're called to wait on God, wait on God. And that's verses 7 and 8. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Um, now, what, what is he talking about here? Well, first, a little bit of context is, is that as the church is facing oppression... Um, that they really have two temptations, and I think we can all identify with this, that when you're facing difficulty, when you're facing hardship from the outside, and I don't know what that looks like for you right now. We have all kinds of different circumstances. Maybe you're being squeezed financially right now. Maybe you're being squeezed in relationships right now. I don't know what your particular context is, but it's the way of life, this side of heaven, is that we're squeezed. We're pressed in on every side and that um, just like our friends that James is writing to, there's two temptations. The first temptation is that we just give in to the world and its systems. And remember last week we talked about, um, you know, there's a, a really hard teaching on the way we, we spend our wealth. The week before that was a teaching about how we spend our time and that the way we spend our time and the way we spend our money uh, really matters because there's this great temptation when we're facing difficulty, just to kind of give in to the way of the world um, and give in to the systems of the world and just say, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to live like everyone else because it's it's honestly just easier. But there's a second way that you could respond to all the oppression, all the difficulties of life, and um, that one we haven't talked as much about, which is this idea that we attack the world, that we just become against the world. Um, which sometimes in Christian circles can seem like the right thing to do, right? Like let's just be, let's just make our identity about everything we're against um, in life. But actually, both are not the correct focal point for those of us who follow Jesus. And this is what James gets at: um, that the object of our life as Jesus followers is is not uh, giving into the world and it's not attacking the world, but instead. He provides his third alternative, which is being patient, being patient. This idea of waiting with patience in a very difficult circumstance. And I want you to, as we talk about this this morning, to not, you know, not make this just a biblical text that, you know, you're going to learn some theological truths, but I really want you to think about in what ways are you being squeezed in your life right now? Where are you feeling acutely the pressures of life? In this moment, I don't know what that looks like for you, um, but I imagine that you're not alone and that what you're facing is probably common for a lot of us also in the community. And so, as you listen to this, make it very practical that what we're called to, to do is not give in to the world or, or resist the world as the central activi- activity of our lives, but instead to wait with patience. Wait with patience. Um, well, first of all, what is it that we're waiting for? as Christians, what is it that we're waiting for? And I think this is a very important question to ask as a Christ follower. What is it that you're waiting for? Because your answer to that really does reveal what your hope is in, doesn't it? What are you waiting for? Um, The world says we should be waiting for all kinds of things. You know, we we should wait until retirement, you know, and then we can live our best life, right? When we kind of have stored up enough and we finally have the free time we need, that's what we're That's what we're waiting for. Or maybe you're just waiting to get to the end of a season, you know? If I could just get through this little chunk of my life, then life will be different. Then life will be better. I'm just waiting to get through something. But what James points to is this idea that we're waiting, right, for something. This is at the end of verse 8, the coming of the Lord, which he says is near, And so the context of our waiting, and this is very important as Christians, what we're really supposed to be focused on and waiting for is the return of the King, the return of the King. Um, Now I sat with that a lot this week and I can tell you like, that's not like my weekly focal point of what I'm waiting for, you know, but I sit every day in all the difficult things of life, right, I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time talking to Janet about the difficult things happening in my life about the various oppressions, about the various hardships. We talk about, boy, let's just get to the other side of this. But what James says is really important. He says, make sure that as you're in the common things of life, make sure you have the bigger picture in mind and know what you're waiting for. We're waiting for the coming of the Lord. We're waiting for Jesus to return and make all things new. And with that in mind, he says, be patient, be patient. Well, what is patience? Um, and, and I don't know what you think of when you think of, of that word, patience. Um, some images, as I sat with this and kind of journaled through this this week, were, you know, that patience can feel like a, a weak enterprise. That, you know, it's just something that you do when you're like, I'm, I'm kind of giving up. I'm just going to be patient. Ugh. I don't know how many of you, um, if you get in an argument with your significant other, and if you're a, like if you breathe the wrong way, um, that can be taken the taken a wrong way, and you know, and then you can say, well, I'm just I'm just being patient, you know, <sighs> and and then Janet will say, why are you breathing that way, and and then that's always a fun fun uh, conversation that follows after that. But, you know, I have this idea of being patient, of just kind of grin and bearing it, of just kind of getting through it and kind of, like, forcing yourself to be disciplined, forcing yourself to do something that you don't want to do for a longer period of time than you want to do it. But that's not actually the kind of patience that James is talking about. And he gives us this really, like, provocative analogy to tell us what patience is. And he gives us an image of a farmer and the farmer who patiently waits for the rains in the fall in the, in the spring, and eagerly looks for the valuable harvest to ripen. So I just want us to enter into that uh, word picture for a minute so that we understand what patience is, which patience is the posture that we should have as we wait for Jesus to come back in the common things of our life. What is patience, according to James, through this analogy? Well, here's a patience formula for you that I think he's giving us. He says that patience is waiting through something, until something else you're waiting through something until something else so in our metaphor how does that work well the farmer um, which i've never been a farmer i don't know maybe some of you have i've gardened slightly in my yard not successfully but i've attempted gardening i might do it again next year Um, but you know we can imagine that as a farmer you know there's some basic activities that are involved that there's a lot of labor. There's a lot of toil, right? You're you're scraping ground. If you've ever scraped the ground in North Carolina, you know that's a lot of work. Um, it's basically bricks, you know. It's it's red clay. Um, so you scrape the ground and then you sow a seed, right? And then you have to tend it and you have to weed it and you have to do all these all these things. And you imagine the farmers that James is talking to is even harder. They didn't have machinery. They didn't have irrigation. It's like literally a guy with a tool out in the yard scraping dirt. And so there's this toil. There's this labor that if you imagine you're in day in and day out, and this is your life, like can be all-consuming. And I would imagine just like we're tempted to kind of just see Life right in front of us, the struggles that are right in front of us day to day. The farmer, that's his temptation too, is it's just like the day in, day out, struggle, the toil. I'm scraping the earth. Nothing's happening. What am I doing with my life? And so James says the farmer waits through his labor. He waits through the toil until something else. What's the until? Until the harvest, right? Until the labor results in fruit that comes up magically out of the ground, right? And that's the, that's the beauty of, of gardening or, or farming. So it's this image that patience is the posture of waiting through something difficult until something happens that you're waiting for. And in the same way, as Christians, we wait through our suffering and through our trials. That's why we've entitled the series How to Get Through What You're Going Through, right? Right. And we talked about this idea that God doesn't just allow us to fly over our difficulties. He makes us go through it, and he promises that he will be with us in it. And so James knows that our temptation for the people then and for us now is like we just want to move through this thing. We want to set our sights on just kind of getting to the end of whatever struggle we're in. And he says, no, remember the bigger story. Jesus is coming back. That's your context that you need to get through your trials in the same way the farmer gets through his labor until you get to something. Now, what is the something that you're getting to as a Christian? Now, for the farmer, that's the fruit that comes up out of the ground, right? But for you as a Christian, what is it that you're tangibly waiting for? What is your suffering producing? Well, I want to take us back to the first chapter of James, And this is a central theme of James. He says in in chapter 1, he says this, For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Agricultural language there. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And there it is. When your endurance, when you're waiting through the trial, right, when you wait patiently through your difficulty, What does God promise? That on the other side of that, when that's fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I'm going to put a different word on that. The object, the thing that we're waiting until on the other side of our suffering is being mature and complete. And that is the object of discipleship. If you call yourself a Christ follower, if you say, I've raised my hand, I've decided to follow Jesus, then your purpose in life, the object of your life, like where it's all going, what it's all about, is you being mature and complete. That's it. And that seems so simple, and yet there's so many things that compete for that until space in our life, isn't it? Because how you answer that question, I'm waiting through my trials until this, right? That becomes the object of my hope. That becomes the focal point of my life. And the world says there's all kinds of things you should be waiting until to get, right? Waiting until you get a particular position at your job. Waiting until your spouse finally gets it and your marriage is exactly like you want it to be waiting until your child moves through their difficulty and finally matures and gets somewhere different, right? But God says, you know, I have a bigger purpose for you. And that purpose is to be mature and complete because, you know, to be a Christian, do you know what that word really means? It means to be a little Christ, a little Christ. And so what it means to be a Christian is to be like Jesus. And what was Jesus like? He was mature, and he was complete, lacking nothing, in complete, perfect relationship with the Father. And so that is supposed to be the object of our life. And so there's this beautiful metaphor that James is giving us, this provocative image that, like the farmer, toils and labors, and he goes through that to get to a fruit, right, which is the object of his labor. labor. In the same way, we go through our sufferings, and we're supposed to wait patiently until that fruit comes. But there's an important uh, third part of this teaching, too, in that there's this piece that he says um, that he, the farmer waits for the rains in the fall and the spring. Um, so he's toiling. He's waiting for fruit to happen. But he does that in a context of knowing. He knows through his experience, but he believes in faith because he can't make it happen. It's a future event, something he can't control that there's going to be rain that's coming. Why is that important? Well, because if you're a farmer and you toil and you have fruit that comes but no rain comes, what happens to your fruit? It dies. It's worthless, right? There's no point. Well, in the same way as Christians, as we wait through our trials until we're mature and complete, right, the reason why being mature and complete has value and it has ultimate value is, is because like the rain that's coming, Jesus is coming back. And that is the context of your discipleship. Like the rain gives ultimate meaning to the labor and to the fruit. In the same way, the Lord returning and coming back, right? Power from above, right? Catch the imagery. Um, Jesus coming back gives the ultimate context. It makes ultimate sense of your suffering. It makes being mature and complete worth it, because if Jesus isn't coming back, and this world is all there is, you being like Jesus is not something that's going to help you, because becoming like Jesus means you're going you're gonna to continue to resist the ways of the world. You're going to continue to actually bring suffering on yourself as you follow Jesus and resist the ways of the world, and so if he's not coming back Right, You're wasting your life. In the same way the farmer is wasting his life if there's no rain to water the crops. And so this is the context of our patience. So I want us to remember to zoom out on God's bigger story. And as you go through what you're going through to remember that your trials and your suffering, whatever that looks like in your life right now, makes sense because God wants to use it to make you mature to make you complete, that if you would just endure through it, if you would just stick with him in whatever it is that you're in, then he promises something beautiful and good on the other side. Well, secondly, he tells us there's a second kind of patience that we ought to exercise as we follow Jesus. It's not just waiting on God to return, right? Waiting on God to do his work in us to be mature and complete. But he also says, In verse nine, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged, for look, the judge is standing at the door. What is he talking about? What a strange teaching. Here's what I think he's saying. He's saying you're waiting on God, but you're waiting with each other. You're waiting with people. And waiting with people is no fun at all. You ever been stuck in an elevator with a bunch of people? You ever been stuck in a waiting room with a bunch of people? If those are your own little people, it's even better. but waiting with people is, is challenging. And I don't want us to miss that, you know, there's a lot he could have said here um, about how, how is it that we should be patient with one another. But he chooses to talk about one thing. And the one thing is this idea of don't grumble with each other. Why does he pick that one thing? Well, what does it mean to grumble? Um, I think it could mean a lot of things, but just some other descriptors that come to mind. Complaining, bickering, Undermining each other, talking about each other in a negative way. Does that sound familiar? Right? We all do these things to each other. And as in some ways, sometimes we think, you know, this helps me get what, go, this helps me go through what I'm going through, right? Because what I'm going through is tough. I'm stressed out. You're annoying. And so I'm just going to say some words. And the words is going to give me a little bit of like immediate relief but then we know it's gonna cause way more problems. And at the heart of so many of our interpersonal conflicts is this posture, this way of showing up in relationship as a complaining, bickering, undermining kind of a person who's kind of always negative, always against, um, always challenging. And so James says, don't do that, (laughs) simply don't do that. Um, Well, this ties into everything he's taught about our words. Remember, we taught several weeks ago this idea that words build worlds, that our words are significant. And then he says at the end, for look, the judge is standing at the door. What is he saying? I think he's saying that he knows there's this temptation that we think about and talk about our own grumbling and complaining and kind of posturing in a negative way in relationships with each other, that we really like minimize that, don't we? And that we just say, well, you know, it's it's not a big deal it's what everybody does and he did it to me first and that's just kind of the way it is and we think you know i mean i'd like to get better at that but i don't know if i really will and you know that's a pretty hard thing to control and i think what james is doing is he wants to li- us to live with a sober mindedness that we are accountable for the words that we say that we are accountable for the way that we show up and love or fail to love others and as a jesus follower our standard is super high why Because Jesus is the example, the one who loved perfectly, the one who never grumbled or complained. Can you imagine never grumbling, complaining? James, remember, is his brother. And I imagine James did a lot of grumbling and complaining against Jesus but never got it in return. That must have been pretty annoying. We all have all these pressures in our life, and I don't know what your pressure in your life looks like. You know, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your parenting is super frustrating. Maybe you're facing financial difficulty right now. Maybe there's a hardship at your work. Maybe there's a difficulty in a relationship. Maybe there's a difficulty with your credit card bills. Maybe you're just feeling insecure. Maybe you can't sleep, you have insomnia. Maybe you're just, you have a frustrated dream that hasn't been realized. I don't know what the pressure is in your life, but here's what I know is that under pressure, we tend to move towards grumbling and complaining and destroying relationships. And James reminds us, he says, listen, as a Christ follower, God wants you to stay patient to sit in the difficult thing you're going through with difficult people. But I want you to do that in a way that's not grumbling and complaining. I want you to do that in a way that models what love looks like. And that's an image of patience that's super difficult. And he reminds us, this is really important. He says, Jesus, remember, is coming back. And he's coming back as our savior and our king, but he's also coming back as our judge. And we don't like to talk about that in the church very much. But we're accountable to Jesus for the words that we say to one another. When you say something to your spouse, to your kids, to your neighbor, to your coworker, you know what? You're seen. You're seen. Even if you don't think anybody's seeing you, God sees you. And he sees your heart. And he wants more for you than that. So we wait on God. We wait with people. And then James in verses 10 and 11 gives beautiful examples. Just in case you were tempted to think that we're alone in this or that this is too hard for people to actually carry out, he gives us these examples and he says, For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering so this idea of enduring under suffering, the word perseverance uh, comes to mind here that we're called to persevere, uh, waiting on God and waiting uh, with people. And he gives an example of Job. And if you know Job's story, right, Job lost everything that was important to him. You talk about pressure in his life. He lost his family, everything he loved. He lost all, lost all his possessions. And the story of Job is a, a story of perseverance that, After suffering great loss, after being misunderstood by his friend, um, the key picture here is the Lord never left him. And in the end, and this is at the end of verse 11, the Lord was kind to him. The Lord was kind to him. And so this is an invitation to us as we remember Job. Job. As we remember the prophets, we remember the people who stayed faithful, who stayed the course, who stayed in the hard thing, but they didn't just stay in the hard thing, grinning and bearing it and barely making it and being unkind to each other. The image of how Jesus did life, right, is our picture of what right looks like, that they did it with a patience and a kindness. And how did they do that? And this is what I want to close with. How can you do this? Because as I'm describing this, some of you might think, Gabe, that's a beautiful teaching, but I have no idea how I'm going to change that when I go home this afternoon. How I'm going to keep myself from being frustrated with God because he hasn't answered my prayer. He hasn't shown up in the way that I wanted in my life. That How am I going to keep myself from being frustrated with the annoying people around me? How am I going to be a patient? How am I going to be kind? How is it possible? And remember that the answer is in verse 11. It's the Lord who is kind in the end. The Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. And the answer and the invitation of how can we live this life of patient endurance is that we fix our eyes, first of all, on the prize, on the work of becoming mature and complete. That's what you were called for. That's what Jesus died for but that the Lord himself is not against you. He's not waiting to crush you, that he is your father in heaven who's the perfect father. And today's Father's Day. And for some of you, it's a beautiful day and you're, you're celebrating. And for others of you, Father's Day is a difficult day because you lost your dad. Or for some of you, you know, your dad was not a model of kindness and love and tenderheartedness toward you. And it's a hard day, but here's, here's what you have to hear And this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the ultimate end of the story. Why God coming back for you is a good thing is because while you are yet his enemy, while you are yet complaining and arguing and against him, God entered the world and he gave his very life for you and that he is kind and tenderhearted toward you. And that if you said, you know what, I want to follow you, Jesus, what he promises is that he's going to give you his spirit, his spirit in you. And that all you have to do is stop trying so hard. That it's not about you trying harder to be a better person. It's about you saying, I give up. I wanna be like you, Jesus, and I need you to do it. And I need your kindness and your tenderness and your love to overwhelm my life and my story. And I need you to empower me to love others the way. That you have first loved me. And so that's my challenge for you today. Whatever you're going through, the call is a high standard. It's not okay to not move th- through things with patient endurance. That's the picture of the life that Jesus lived. And that is the object of our life to become mature and complete. But you're not alone in doing that. And you're not supposed to do it by the sweat of your brow. You're supposed to do it as an act of faith that the God who is gracious and loving and kind promises that if you submit yourself to him he will show up and that he will help you and that he will guide you in the way of patience let's pray together as we finish lord we ask that you would help us to fix our eyes on you let us remember daily that you are standing at the door for you are coming soon As we go about our days, Lord, working and eating and making plans and spending money and dreaming, let us be steadfast. Help us to remember the saints who have gone before us, who patiently endured their suffering for your sake. Thank you that they held fast to the one true story of the world, and in so doing, give us courage too. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to do likewise. May our yes to you, Lord Jesus, be unwavering in the face of the adversities we are facing. Help us to hear your voice and to follow you, not just believe in you, but to follow you in the small places in our story this day and always. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.